Well, good morning, Dorisville. How are you doing? Isn't that a great song? It is a beautiful day. It's beautiful in the sense that it's a wonderful weather day. It's beautiful because this is the day the Lord hath made, and we shall rejoice and see exceedingly glad in it. And it's a beautiful day because I get to be in church with you today. Amen. And we're just really glad that you are here. And we are glad to have our Facebook Live audience live with us this morning. Now, we're done with the recording. We got the new internet, and we're going to be live on Wednesday night and live on Sunday morning. So we welcome you guys also uh, to our service today. And we begin a brand new series today. And how appropriate. We've got a beautiful day because it being a beautiful day, our sermon series is Beautiful Day, Love Thy Neighbor. All right. This all started back in November of last year, November 2019. And uh, we went to the movie theater and saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but uh, all about uh, Dr. Dr. Rogers. <laughs> Sorry, Adrian. Sorry about that. Uh, Mr. Rogers. And, uh, you know, it's a really good movie. It really was. It was totally different, but it showed a love of his life. He was a very good Christian man. A very good Christian man. And he really taught in his way on TV um, the Christian virtues that make a good neighborhood a good neighborhood. So it's just really inspiring. So I left the movie that night saying, you know, that would be a great sermon series. You know, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And so hence we come up with that today. And what we want to do is over the next five, six weeks or so, this, this is one series that may just grow a little longer. Because there's so much to talk about how we should live with our neighbors and how we can help, help impact our neighborhood. So it may grow a little bit longer, but for the next four, five, six weeks, we're going to be talking about what should be our response in the neighborhood. Our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. So go ahead and get your Bible turned there. Hope you get the uh, worship app out and ready. Okay. You'll go to version. Go down to the corner there and find more. Go up there and then you'll find events. Open it up. You'll find all the scriptures and all the quotes that you're going to need for today. Now one thing, as you know, it's kind of, your neighborhood can be difficult to live in. You know, in fact, you know, some neighborhoods have HOA rules, homeowner association, homeowner association rules, and they kind of set the standard. And some of them can be really, really wacky. Now, we've got a video this morning. You're going to recognize it because it's off the television. And it has to be a Geico commercial, okay, that we kind of edited down for this morning. So watch this video. Oh, we love our new home. Neighborhood's great. Amazing school district. The HOA has been very involved. These shrubs aren't board approved. You need to break down your cardboard. Thank you. Violation. Violation. I see you've met Cynthia. Two inches over regulation. Thanks, Cynthia. Do you have neighbors like that? Do you have a, maybe some rules in your neighborhood that are kind of like that? They're crazy and they're wacky? Well, listen, I'm so glad that God's Word gives us some really good rules on how we can live and be a good neighbor in our neighborhood. Now, now Paul, you know, even Peter said Paul was just a little bit hard to understand sometimes. And sometimes his organizational skills, you kind of go, really, Paul? Is that what you had in mind? But today in Romans chapter 13, he has three things that he talks about, and they're all just kind of eclectic until you look at it and you put them all together and sew them together and you go, oh, that's it. You know, first off, he starts um, talking about debt. Okay, and you go, what does debt got to be the neighborhood? Well, hang on. Okay, and then he talks about love and you know, I'm amazed how much there is talk about love. You know, I don't understand why every week in every pulpit we're just not screaming out about love. 
You know, and you'll see why in just a moment. But it's just over and over and over again. You know, Paul talks about it, and Peter talks about it, and Jesus talks about it, and John talks about it over and over again about how we're to love our neighbor. And it's a really, really big deal. And then, though, then, then Paul, Paul comes along and talks about the second coming, about the end. But you're going to see today, I hope, if I do my job right, that we're going to be able to sew those things together and go, oh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and this is how we should love our neighbors. So in Romans chapter 13, as I already heard, and he talks about death, okay? He says five, now this is in this translation, I think it's the New Living Translation, but, but in, in this translation, it's five words. And I'm literally going to say this, it's five words that can change your life. It's five words that can change your life. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse number 8, the first part. He says, do not owe anyone anything. Do not owe anyone anything. Okay? So first you might want to say, oh, 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 I don't know. He's metaphorically speaking. He's just kind of painting a picture. No. No, he's really talking about debt. Okay? He's really talking about the fact that we should not be in debt to anyone. And I think the reason why is this. Paul knew, Paul knew that debt can be a real booger bear. Debt is something that can really make life challenging. And he knew, I think, he's, I think he knew that if we really want to be the neighbors that God wants us to be, that carrying the weight of, of debt can really weigh us down. You know, I even thought, you know, I thought that debt's kind of like the COVID virus. You know, one of the things, if you know anything about the COVID, like I know a lot, okay, but, but like the COVID, one is the, is the attack on the lungs, you know, it makes it very, very difficult to breathe. A lot of people end up on respirators. Uh, tons of uh, people do. You know, and so debt, though, can suck the air out of your life. Suck, you know, air can, you know, the coronavirus makes it hard to breathe. Debt can make it hard to breathe. Now, think about your life, and it depends on, of course, I understand most people carry some kind of debt. But you know what I'm talking about. When we're talking about the, the big debt, the debt where, where you're just making it from payday to payday, okay? It could be cars and houses, and it could be other things that you've allowed to come into your life, but the debt's about to suck the air out of you, just like the coronavirus does to us physically. Um, you know, debt can leave you um, exhausted and tired. I just talked to a, a friend of ours, you know, and, and he had the virus, and I said, Do you have any symptoms? He said, I'm just exhausted. I'm just tired. And debt does that. When you worry from payday to payday to payday to payday, how are we going to make this payment and that payment? It can leave you totally exhausted. And, and the last one's this. You know, the coronavirus makes you be isolated and alone. And debt does that too. It makes you feel like you're the only one going through anything. And you're alone. And you're isolated. So Paul knew all of that 20, you know, 2,000 years ago. He knew that. And so he comes along to us and speaks to us today and says, Oh, no one, anything. It's huge. It's huge. You know, you know Proverbs 22.7 says this. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is a slave to the lender. When, when we find ourselves in huge debt loads particularly, then we learn to become a slave. We become enslaved to the burden of that debt. It's probably no surprise that in the, in the world of divorce, so many divorces are started by financial pressure in the marriage. 
You know, twice, once was like two days ago, and once was this morning, I found this quote. I said, God, throw this in the sermon. You know, this, this is the one from a couple of, of days ago. It's from Rick Warren, and he says this. Most problems in life come from the inability to delay gratification. Now, you know, we live in a society where I want it and I want it now. That's just the way we live. Okay? So, so most problems in life come from the inability to delay gratification. Society teaches us to say, I want everything, I want it now, and I want it free, and I want it easy. And he simply says this, life just doesn't work that way. And it doesn't. So, to be a good neighbor, to be a good neighbor, you're going to find yourself, you're going to need to find a route to freeing yourself from financial burden. But can I be very candid with you? If you're up your eyeballs in debt, you need to get help. Because life is better without it. Life is better without it. You know, my wife Judy has taught Financial Peace uh, Institution here at University here at Dorsville Baptist. And if we can help you in some way that way, we want to do that. Because I know the burden of debt. Been there, done that, thankfully not there now. And so, so try to find a path that will lead you to be debt-free. Dave Ramsey uh, from Ramsey Solutions says this, The decision to go into debt alters the course condition of your life. Now notice, I even changed that word to a better word. The choice to go into debt alters the course condition of your life. You no longer own it. You are owned. You no longer own it. You are our own. But here's the part I really want you to get. Debt is not just financial. There's other kinds of debt. Debt is not just financial. There are other kinds of debt. There is the financial debt. And see, financial debt hinders our ability to be generous. You know, there's... I just told Judy, she said she's going to buy Sarah, my daughter Sarah a shirt, you know, and she's going to take it out for her kitty fund. I said, Judy, you're so generous. And she said, that's a core value of mine. I mean, it's only a shirt, but it's the thought of giving that money away to buy the shirt that's going to bless my daughter, Sarah. So, so you perhaps want to be generous, but you say, I can't. You may have watched the video today and, and you know, heard Jeff speak and, and Kathy speak and go, you know what? I really wish I could help support IBSA in a bigger way. You know, world hunger is just coming up in three weeks. You might say, you know, I know the plight of world hunger. I wish I had more freedom, more financial freedom, so I could give more to world hunger. Or, or perhaps, you know, Lottie's coming up. You know, Annie Arms, uh, Lottie Moon, and the International Mission. You're going, oh, I just wish I could give more to that. And here's the deal. Debt, financial pressure, limits our ability to do that. So it's a wonderful thing when you find that freedom, all of a sudden you're not hindered in your generosity. But also, there's emotional debt. You know, emotional debt is when we choose, when we choose to go in debt with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and things like that. So, so what debt are you carrying? Who, who is it in your world that has offended you and you have chosen to be angry or bitter or unforgiving to? Now, you know and I know, you think, listen, you think financial, financial debt does that? Emotional debt does it even more. This kind of emotional debt keeps you awake at night. Uh, you're standing in the shower having conversations in your head. You know, 
Well, I've never told this story before. When I was in the eighth grade, I guess, I don't know, you know, I, frankly, I was bullied, you know. There were about three guys in the school that decided I was their target. And uh, so one day, this guy said, I'm going to get you at the bus stop. And, uh, boy, he did. You know, he had his six-foot-two buddy standing next to him, and he, you know, popped me in the mouth, and down we went wrestling and fighting. And I don't think I won that fight, okay? It was only like three punches thrown, but I didn't win. And um, you know what? I, even now, I replay that fight in my mind. You know, if I'd done this, if I'd held it this way, if I got his head this way, you know, I, I, I play it over and over again. But, you know, see, that's what emotional debt does. We play it over and over and over and it robs us of our peace and it robs us, you know, of, of our strength and it robs us of our energy and it robs us of our spirituality. So, so be careful with, you know, emotional debt. It, it hinders our ability to love and forgive. Love and forgive. And then there's this last one, time debt. Time debt. You know, we, we make commitments in our life and all of a sudden we realize there's more commitment than there is hours in the day. Anybody been there? You know, you, you say, you know, you, it may be a church and you'll say, yes, yes, yes to the nominating committee. It's great to say yes to the nominating committee, but maybe you said yes 12 times. And all of a sudden coming to church and serving a church is a burden. Or, or maybe, maybe you made a commitment to a sports team like your bowling team or your softball team and practice three nights a week, you know, and games every weekend. And, you know, you love softball, but all of a sudden you feel so burdened with that. See, so there are things then that, that will be, hinder us when we go into debt with time. And see, when we're in time debt, it hinders our ability to serve. You know, there's something you would really like to do in God's kingdom, and you're just, there's no energy. And there's no time. You're booked up five nights a week with the things of the world. So there's no time left to serve God. So when Ramsey says decision to go into debt alters the course condition of your life, it does. It can and it will. And he goes on and says this, you no longer own it. You are owned. Now Jesus, Jesus talked about this. In Matthew and chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said this. He said, for which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Jesus said, hey, if you're going to build a, if you're going to build a tower, if you're going to build a house, be sure you sit down and figure out the budget before you start building because you don't want to start building the house and all of a sudden your neighbor goes, hey, what's up, dude? You started the house and you haven't completed it. And you go, oh, yeah, I kind of miscalculated it. We don't have any money to pay for it. So Jesus said that. You know what Jesus would say today? Perhaps his saying to you today? Hey, before you go into debt financially, before you put yourself in that bondage, before you put your marriage in danger, your character in danger, you know, make sure you can afford it. He, he might be saying to you today, hey, emotionally, before you, go into, before you decide you're going to hold that grudge, before you decide you're going to let that anger on you, count the cost. Count the cost. And before you make that time commitment, count the cost. Make sure there's enough of you to do what you're committing to do. Make sure there's enough of you to do what you're committing to do. So debt is a big, big deal. Financially, yes. Emotionally, yes. Time, yes. If we're going to be the neighbor 
that God wants us to be. If we're going to impact our neighborhood the way God wants to impact our neighborhood, there's got to be enough of us left after everybody takes their share. So be careful with debt, whether it's time, emotional, or financial. Then, in the second part of, of verse number 8, here's what Paul says. I'll repeat the first part, the five words. Do not owe anyone anything except, except, here's what he says, except to love one another. So he's saying the debt that we should have is love for one another. We shouldn't have an emotional debt. We shouldn't have a time debt. We shouldn't have financial debt. But he says we should have a debt to love one another, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Because if you're a Christ follower, because of your debt to Christ, you are indebted to every other person to love. Because of the love, you know, they didn't get an amen Wednesday night either. You know, it's funny. You know, but because of what Christ did, and Christ was all about loving and loving one another, because of what he has done for us, because of the love that he expressed for us, then we are indebted to share that love with every person around us. Amen? We're indebted. So that's why Paul says, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here's a great question. I, I think, I think this came from Andy Stanley. Not sure. But I think it did. But here's the question. If you're a note taker, this is a note to write down. Okay, if you've got the app open, good place to add the note here. What does love require, require of me? What does love require of me? This is so good. Hey, when, when dealing with your husband or your wife, what does love require of you? When you're a parent dealing with your children, what does love require of me? When you're dealing at work with, a, with an honorary boss, what does love require of me? When, when you're dealing with an honorary employee, what does love, love require of me? When you're working in church, what does love require of me? Because Paul says we have this debt, okay? We're, we're indebted to Christ, and because we're indebted to Christ, he commands us to love one another. So the only debt we should carry is except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And this is like so big. This is like, gee, we should be hearing this every week from every pulpit. You know, James, the, the younger half-brother of Jesus, you know, says in James 2 eight. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, if you fulfill the law of the kingdom, if you fulfill the law of the king prescribed in Scripture, and guess what it is? You guessed it. Love your neighbor as yourself. James says you're doing well. Now, not how many times you go to church, not how many times you write the big check, not even how many times or positions you hold in the church. No, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, you know, if you fulfill the royal law, which is love your neighbor, you're doing good. You're doing good. Toby Mack, and, and he, he's a songwriter, but he comes up with some great words. He said this, you know, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew your neighbor would act, look, believe, and love differently than you. And at least how he finishes it. It's kind of the whole point. Jesus said, love your neighbor, because he knew he would love and act differently than you. It's the whole point. That's why it's so important. If everybody's like you, wouldn't it be a boring world? But two would be a little easier. But the bottom line is everyone's not like us. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're all fearfully and wonderfully made differently. 
So sometimes it's a challenge to love your neighbor. Paul, and we're going to quote Paul about five times this morning. You know, Paul, over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, says this. For you are called to be free. In other words, each one of us who are Christ followers have rights and privileges. We have rights and privileges. So you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use this, this freedom, okay, that you have as a weapon against your brother. Don't, don't stomp your foot and say, I've got rights and I've got privileges. And, and if it's not my way, then buddy, it's the highway. He says, don't do that. He says, don't do that. In fact, he says, rather, he says, but serve one another through love. Serve one another through love. And see, don't forget this. The world's looking at us. The world's looking at us. During this COVID mess, the world is watching. And when they say, and the church, what a great testimony for Christ. Facetiously spoken. There is no testimony in you know, Jesus, is, this is kind of our, our byword. At least I hope it's our byword at Dorisville. You know, in Matthew 22, Jesus says, you know, the, 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 I told this joke on Wednesday night. You've got to laugh, okay, because they actually laughed. Okay, okay. It's, it's an old joke. I know if you're a theologian, you've probably heard it before. Okay, so, so the Sadducees come to Jesus and are kind of like debating him. Okay? And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were... Sad, you see. Huh? Oh, ding, ding, ding. It's all, it's all it's good. It's good. Thank you for laughing. Thank you for laughing. So, so, so he shuts down the Sadducees, and then the Pharisees come up. Okay? So they're going to take Jesus on. So one of the experts in the law, the teacher, said, a teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? So which one's the greatest? You should know. Yeah, love God. Love two words, love God. Okay, but Jesus said it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Love God. Love God. But it's so cool because Jesus didn't stop there. You know, when I was growing up, it's so funny how you remember things from your childhood. Um, There's a place called National Furniture Warehouse. And they had an advertisement on television, and it showed two humongous twins. These boys were big. Okay, of course, they were grown up by then. They were grown up, they were standing there and said, Mama got two for the price of one, and so can you at National Furniture Warehouse. I guess you bought one chair, you got two. Okay, so, so here's the deal. So the teacher asked for one, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave him two. Jesus gave him two. Because he says, the second is like it. First, love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, so here it is. So the first one is love God, and the second one is love people. Now, see, we make this way too hard. We make this way too hard. I mean, business is like this. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's how we do business. Love God, love people. And then, and then Jesus says this. Oh, somebody say all. Oh. Not 20%, not 40%, not 60%, not 80%, not even 95%, nor like Ivory Snow, so 99.9%, 99.4%, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love God, love people. And here's the deal. You can't do two, you can't love people without loving God. 
And you can't love God without loving people. These two are married together. You can shout and scream how spiritual you are, but if you don't love people, you have an issue. And you may be ooey-gooey, I've got the best person out in the world with people, but if you don't love God, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's huge. It's just huge, all right? Now, here's the deal. You know, he said, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So let's look at the Big Ten, not the football conference. Let's look at the Big Ten, okay? So the first four commandments of the Big Ten tell us how, how to have a relationship with God, how to have relationship with God, how our relationship with God should be, okay? The second six, the remaining six, tell us how we should live with people. So the first one talks about this is our relationship with God, and then the six tell us this is our relationship with people, okay? Now, Paul kind of gets this in Romans 8, 9, okay? Romans 8, 9, the commandments are this, the commandments, 8, 9, do not commit adultery, okay? Yeah, that's a good one. Do not murder, well, got that one, and do not steal, okay, and do not covet, got that. Now, watch this, now watch this. He hits adultery, murder, stealing, and covet, and then Paul, the great theologian, says this, and any other commandment. So he's got those four and then dumps the whole bucket into the other bucket. And any other command uh, are summed up by this commandment. Guess what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. How about that? See, here's the rule. You can't commit adultery, which is number seven. You can't murder, which is number six. You can't steal and because it's number eight, and you can't covet, which is number ten, and love your neighbor. It's not possible. It's not possible. You can't, you can't commit adultery, you can't murder, you can't steal, you can't covet, and love your neighbor. It's just simply not possible. Then Paul comes along in Galatians chapter Paul talks a lot about this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law. Somebody say whole. Yeah, yeah. The whole See how important this is? See how important this is? For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, y'all y'all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, you can't get married about 1 Corinthians 13. If, you, if your pastor didn't read 1 Corinthians 13, you've got to come and get remarried. Okay? And, and you can't die without Psalm 23. You can't die without Psalm 23. Okay, you got to do that one too. Okay, but this is why Paul wrote. Listen to why he writes. Because of, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. This is why he wrote the first three verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. I just got spiritual gifts come out, come out my ears. For though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Just noise. Just noise. Then Paul says this. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Hey, you what impressive ministry. Move mountain and it moves. Imagine yourself that you could do that. But I don't have love. I am nothing. That's one. And though I bestow all my goods... To feed the poor, and though I get my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. 
And Paul said the reason why is it's all fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. Love is hugely important. Max Lucado says this, those in the circle of Christ had no doubt of his love. I mean, you never, you never walk with Jesus and you know, instead, you know, I wonder if he loves me today. You know, I wonder if Peter had walked around going, boy, that was dumb, Peter. Stuck your foot right down in your mouth. Way to go, Peter. I wonder if Jesus loves me today. You, know, you never walked with Jesus and wondered if he loved you. you. You could be a prostitute and you end up knowing he loved you. You could have five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And you knew in the end he loved you. So Lucado says those in the circle of Christ had no doubt of his love. Those in our circles should have no doubt about ours. It is so important that this community knows that God loves them and that we love them. It's huge. There's one, listen, 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 listen. Ladies, your husband should never doubt that you love him. Husbands, your wife should never doubt. Parents, I don't care how frustrating they are. They should never doubt that they love you. There should be not a brother and sister in this building that they doubt that they love one another. We, it's that important. It's that essential. People in our circles should know that they are loved. So Paul, kicking back to Romans 13, verse 10, says this. Now, love does no wrong. Somebody say, no wrong. Okay, now hang on with this. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Now, now usually, when no wrong means you don't hurt people. You, you don't speak out against them. You, you don't hurt them. You don't break their hearts. You don't break their spirits. Normally, that's what that means. So sometimes no wrong means doing something hurtful. But, but sometimes it means failing to do something right. See, see, sometimes we have the opportunity to do good and we don't. It's still wrong. You know i got a scripture coming up. See, so, so when we have an opportunity to bless someone and we choose not to bless them, that could be a wrong. When you, when you have someone and the guy at work, the guy at work got the promotion and you didn't, you're all fired up, man, I deserve that promotion. I'm better than he has been here longer. You know, I tell you what, what's wrong with that boss? So you see the guy coming down the hallway, you've got the opportunity, but I'm so glad that you got that promotion. But you withhold it. In fact, in the coffee room, you tell your partner, your friend, I don't know how he got that job. He couldn't pull it off. He don't deserve that. See, see, sometimes a wrong is failing to do the right thing. And here's what James said. I told you that verse. James chapter 4, verse 17. So it is a sin. It is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. When we have a blessed, an opportunity to bless someone, we have an opportunity to do something right for someone, something good for someone, and we choose to withhold that, that's a wrong against our neighbor. That's a wrong against our neighbor. Old King James says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is a sin. So when we get the opportunity to do good, we should do good. Now, 
Paul shifts gears. So we go from, we go from debt, and, and the re- remember the reason why is that because debt makes it difficult to be a good neighbor because of the stress it puts on us. Then he taught all these different verses about, about how we should love one another. Then he totally shifts gears. But it fits. It fits. Then he says this in Romans 13, 11, This is all the more urgent. This is all the more urgent. Now, what is the this? The this is be careful and don't let debt strangle you. That's this. This is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this is. And Paul says the this is all the more urgent. Why, Paul? For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Now, our brother, so funny how this, Jeremy and I did not talk. You know, I even realized you talked about loving your neighbor two weeks ago. It's all a setup, Brent, for this morning. Okay? So, so here we are. You know, Jeremy talked about loving your neighbor and the end times. And here Paul brings it up in this scripture today. You know, you know it's, it's late. Time is running out. Time is running out. Jesus is coming. Now, now, no one knows the hour. In fact, the Bible says, you know, and Jeremy quoted this, you know, the Bible says that only the Father knows. And one day, the Father's going to look at the Son and say, Son, go get the kids, go get the church, go get the family, go get the body. But the Father knows. We don't know. But He's coming back. He's coming back. You know, I love this illustration. Used it. It's one of those ones back when I was a whole lot younger and had more hair and it wasn't gray. You know, but, but I remember, you know, a man walking down the sidewalk and he was carrying Christmas packages. And the man said to himself, Thanksgiving must be close. And what we're saying was, if we're seeing signs of Christmas, Thanksgiving must be close. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But I do, let me just tell you this. I think this is more than just a bump. I think this is just more a time bump. I really think of all the things we have seen we see more ramifications, more signs of the end times. And again, Paul said 2,000 years ago, do you understand how late it is? Time is running out. You know what? Time's running out for America. Time's running out for America. America needs God really bad. And that's why it's important we be good neighbors. You know, you came home because America needed the gospel. You said that. And you're so right. You know, the lostness of America is huge. And we need to show the love of God to a country that's running fast away from God. And I don't, it's not too late. It is not too late. God wants to send revival. But church, we've got to be the church. And that doesn't mean getting our little hole huddles here and talk about the rules. It means loving one another here and loving them out there. That's what it means. That's harder. It's easier to follow rules. It's easier to tell how well we follow the rules in here. I mean, if I want an amen sermon, all I do is stand up here and talk about how bad beer and sex is. Amen, brother. All I preach on. We don't hear that enough. Amen, brother. Well, you know what? Those might be wrong. But what we need to hear is love. Love for one another and love for those out there. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there are some really lost people that drink and have sex 
or don't drink and don't have sex, but they're lost. But to love like God, you got to know God. And that's what the world needs. Amen? Amen? That's what the world needs. The time now, he says, he says in verse 13, 11, the bottom part, wake up, wake up, wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. I like clocks. I've got all kinds of clocks in my house. And I've got a clock that will run a day. I've got a clock that will run eight days. I've got a clock that will run 30 days. Okay? And so I wind them on different days. But let's take the clock that runs seven days. And so I wound it yesterday. I got my little crank out. It was a grandfather clock. And I cranked up the weights, you know. Now here's what I know. That clock will run, run seven days, but boy, it doesn't run two hours past that. Okay? So here's what I know. Thursday, I know that the next day that clock is going to stop. Sometime. I don't know when, but it's going to stop. When I wake up Friday, at some point in that time, the clock's going to stop. It just goes tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. And I know, I know, on Friday, unless I wind it, on Friday, there's going to be a tick, and there's not going to be a tock. Jesus is coming back. And one day, it may, be, it may be personally for us view uh, death that we're going to go to heaven or it may be the rapture and we're going to heaven. But one day there's going to be a tick and no talk. And time as we know it will end, either individually or as a body. We may not know exactly when, but it's coming. Until then, we've got to be busy. In fact, back John, Jesus said in John 9, 4 and 5, we must quickly carry out the task. Jesus said that. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. These are times for us to be scurrying around doing what God's called us to do and not complaining about the life we don't want. Friend, it came through the Father. It's been Father-filtered. And if God said this is what you get now, then this is what we're going to get. But we've got to be busy for God right now. We've got to be doing the jobs that God has assigned us individually and as a church. Amen. Amen. He said, Jesus once said, the night is coming. The night is coming. And then no one can work. One day there'll be a tick with no talk. The night's coming. Paul, Paul said a little differently in verse 12a. He said, the night's almost gone. You know, Jesus said, the night is coming. Paul said, looking at it differently, the night is almost gone and the day of salvation will soon be here. In other words, the darkness of this world will be over. And we'll enter into eternity where there'll be no sickness, no suffering, no sorrow, and no pain. The day is coming. Mark, excuse me, Luke 21, where Jesus said, Now when these things begin to take place, when the ticks and tops are happening, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. And it is. And it is. In the last part of Romans chapter 13, verse 12, he said, So, so, remove your dirty deeds 
Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothing and put on the shining armor of right living. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. All right. So quickly, quickly, three things, three things to leave you with. Three rules, three HOA rules, okay, very quickly. Number one, Romans 13, 13 is where we're going. He said, let us walk with decency as in daytime. We're to be decent people. In our neighborhoods, we're to be decent people. We're to have upstanding. You know, one of your, one of your core values should be integrity. I mean, we have enough, you know, lack of integrity. You know, we, we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a, Factory of lack of integrity called Washington D.C. Okay, so so we need some integrity. The church, the church should be a place of integrity. Okay, so so walk with decency as in the daytime. And then three things. He said, don't be carousing with drunkenness. You know, don't be a people that lacks self control in your neighborhood. Um, don't have sexual impurity and promiscuity. We should be a pure people, not an impure people. Um, not in quarreling or jealousy. Not in disunity, but in unity. But in unity. You know, Jesus, or John said, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Second, understand your neighbor. Don't get frustrated with your neighbor. Don't go, I wish my lost neighbor would because he's lost. Love him. Show him Jesus. Understand he's lost and he's going to act like a lost man. But love him with the love of Jesus. I'm going to read you a quote. And it's so good. Now the Wednesday night crowd really like this so y'all need to respond appropriately. Okay, I, I hate to compare y'all but I need to help you. Okay, Because you know next Wednesday I'm going to go, you think you like that quote? Y'all saw the Sunday morning crowd. Okay, so it's got by a guy named Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal. Listen to this. Truth is so obscured. Truth is so obscured nowadays and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. I'll read it again. Truth is so obscured nowadays and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. Those are the days we're living in. Now, you want to hear the crazy part? Blaise Pascal died in 1662. It sounded contemporary, didn't it? 1662. And he was a a French Catholic. Not some great Protestant theologian. But what truth he spoke. Truth is so obscured nowadays and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. And remember the why. Remember we need to be decent people. Understand lost people are going to act like lost people, but understand the why. The why. Uh, Jesus says it in John 3.21. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The church should never be about a preacher The church should never be about a building. The church should never be about the people. The church is about God. The 
church is about God. May all the glory and all the praise be sure and go to him. All right, let's put a bow on this dude. Paul finishes up verse 14 and says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, now listen, and make no provision, make no plan, make no strategy for the flesh to gratify his desires. He sums it all up by saying, now listen, don't make any provision for sin. Whether it's emotional debt where you choose to be angry, whether you're totally out of control with your financial debt and you spend like there's no tomorrow, okay? Whatever it might be, however it might be. Whether you're, whether you're overcommitted in your time where there's no time for God. Sorry, God, you know, Sunday's out, Wednesday's out. We can't watch during the week. You understand, God, we're just busy. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be, okay? It's important then we make no provision and that we do make provision for God. Last two points. To love our neighbor and our neighborhood, we must not plan to sin, but plan to love. You've got to have a strategy. How are you going to love your husband that's not lovable? How are you going to love your wife that's not very lovable? How are you going to love your children when they're not very lovable? How are you going to love your neighbor that's not very lovable? How are you going to love your your fellow employees that are not going to... You have to have a plan and a strategy to love them. Write these down if you've got time. We've got to be a people who plan to love and not to hate. We need to be a people who plan to include and not exclude. We need people who will be peacemakers and not warmongers. We need to be a people who will build bridges and not walls. So, what's your plan? What's your plan? What's your strategy? How are you going to be, in accordance with God's word, not because Dwayne said so, but in accordance with God's word, and there's so much. If you're a Jesus fan, Jesus talked about it. If you're a Paul fan, Paul talked about it. If you're a John fan, John talked about it. If you're a Peter fan, uh, Peter talked about it. Choose, Choose your author. Choose your author. Um, what are you going to do with this truth? You know, what's your strategy and what's your plan? And you probably heard this before, certainly not original with me. You know, to fail to plan is the plan to fail. If we as a church don't have a plan to love, we will fail to love. If we don't have a plan to love, we will fail to love. And here's the deal. This, this is what this morning came in my email, and I said, I just got to throw this in. You know, it's again from Rick Warren, and he was talking about how uh, Moses chose the values of God or the values of Egypt. He chose to identify with God. Listen to this. I think we have a slide for it. If you don't decide what's most important in your life, if you don't decide what's most important in your life, other people are going to decide for you. Other people are going to decide for you. They're going to push you into their mold. And you're going to live your life by their values and not yours. Is that good or what? It's, it's Romans chapter 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy to love? And remember, if you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail to love. And there are plenty of people who are going to, in this culture, there are so many people to press and conform you into their values. And all of a sudden you're going to find yourself 
Not living what you believe, but living what they believe. Let's pray together. Hey, Father, I really thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. And I know it's a whole lot to take in, a whole lot. But, Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe he can help us to comprehend, to grasp, and to absorb the truth of your word today. Father, I want to pray that you'll help us to love. Help us to love you totally and completely. Help us to love those around us, the ones we sit next to, the one we're married to, the one outside these doors. Help us to love one another. Father, love is like the light of the world. And people live in darkness, and they often choose darkness. But Jesus, may you be the light, and you are love. And God, may we reflect that light into this dark world. And may others see Jesus in us. So Lord Jesus, take this truth, apply it as you see fit. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it.